We're very, very grateful for uh, Tom and Connie, and uh, I've gotten to know Tom and Connie over the past several years, and, uh, and I can tell you this, that uh, their hearts are for people. You saw the phrase up here, building relationships for Christ in the Sahara, and, uh, and I know that's what is in their hearts, is building relationships that will become bridges across which Christ can walk uh, through their influence into the lives of other people. And we have the great honor and privilege of being one of the churches that support them and put them there. And uh, so God bless you and thank you guys for supporting. Later in the offering, at the end of the service, uh, you'll have an opportunity to uh, add to that support. Uh, we'll say a little bit more about that a little later in the service. Um, uh, I want to add one other announcement, then we're going to jump into uh, talking a little bit about communion, since we're going to have communion together today. Uh, this is directed to all the parents that are in the room. On September 8th, and I'd like to ask you, take your smartphone out and, or your day timer, whatever you mark important dates in, and mark September 8th, right after church, a 45-minute parents' vision meeting. Now, let me ask this question. I don't think there's a more important question for a parent. Where do you want your child to be spiritually a year from now? How about three years from now? Where do you want your child to be at age 13 spiritually? And then again at age 18 when they're about to launch their life. Where do you want your child to be? Well, the focus of the meeting on September 8th is the spiritual growth development plan for the children of this church. Pastor Alexis, I'm going to be there. Pastor Alexis is going to set out the strategy, cooperative between the church and parents, in raising children that are followers of Jesus Christ lifelong. And we want to ask every parent in this room, every parent, to mark this date down and be there. There will be child care for that entire time, freeing parents to come and be a part of that. So that's September 8th. Mark that date down. It's really important. Well, you know, I think it's really something that uh, of all the things Jesus could have chosen to symbolize or picture the Christian faith, he chose something so common and so ordinary as people sitting down together around a meal. We call that communion. And in a few moments, we're going to come to communion and share that meal together. But I think it's really something that Jesus wanted his followers and the watching world all down through the centuries, whenever they would think of him, of his followers, whenever they would think of, of what he died for, they would, they would think of his church coming together, sharing around a meal. Uh, one of the things, one of the places we most often see Jesus interacting in the New Testament, all over the pages of the New Testament, is Jesus sitting down together, having a meal with, where there was laughter and conversation and talk and friendship uh, because Jesus knew that meals were about a lot more than just nutrition. He knew there was something far more important that happens around a table because in all families and all cultures throughout all history, meals are about a lot more than just the food and the menu. They're about the relationships of the people that are gathered around that table. You know, there's probably no better gauge in any culture, in any family, in any society than what 
than the relational atmosphere that can be tested around a table. You can tell by what goes on around a table and the people that are seated there how well they know each other or how well they don't know each other, how well they get along together or how well they don't get along together. A table is just, it's, it's a place of relationship. It's where it's centered. Is it happy? Are people engaged? Are people sharing the story of their day with each other and laughing together? Or is it sort of cold and icy and, and stressful around that table? Well, Sir Julian Fellows, does that name ring a bell with anybody? Sir Julian Fellows? I can't believe that doesn't ring a bell. He's the writer of that PBS hit series, Downton Abbey. Any Downton Abbey fans in here? Okay, I saw I see a few hands on that. Well, I'm not sure how many of you become part of the Downton Abbey phenomenon, but eight million people watched the last episode of season number three, just last February. And it's a series about this very proper and prim and very wealthy English family about the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s, and uh, it's about that family, the Crawley family, and, and about the family of servants that serve that family. Uh, Jill and I were just channel surfing about a year ago, and we happened to come across this, and we sort of got sucked into it, and so we went back and caught up by watching seasons one and two, and uh, then uh, my favorite character in the series is the butler, Mr. Carson. Uh, there's, uh, we also like Bates and Anna. Now, I'm trying to, I'm not, I'm not really, promo- I'm not being paid by them to promote this or anything like that, but, but Thomas the footman and O'Brien the maid, I'll tell you what, Jill and I are totally upset with the way they behave in this series. In fact, all eight million watchers of Downton Abbey are very upset since the last episode. I'm not going to give it away, but in the last episode, uh, of season three, everything was just going great. The movie, it was coming together. I mean, and the, the story was all coming together in a happy, happy way. And in the last 30 seconds, shocking, out of the blue, something no one would have ever expected took place. And I'll tell you what, every, all eight million were thrown into shock and grief. And now we're all waiting for January so we can find out what's going to happen, what's going on. Well, here's, I'm saying all that just to say this. Have you noticed, those of you that see this, and those of you that might have been sucked in just now, okay, (laughs) have you noticed what Sir Julian Fellows, the writer, puts at the very center of this series? The most frequently repeated scene in all these episodes is the Crawley family seated around their elegant dinner table usually more than once per series, or once per episode. And not only that, but then the camera turns and we get to see the servants down the servants' quarters, and they're all seated around the table. And we, get a, we sort of get a window into the interactions, into the relationship atmosphere of the whole house. Now, sadly, but really very, very good for the ratings, <laughs> uh, things are not good at all inside the Crawley house, in either of those relationship circles, and, the, and, and that's what we get to see when they're seated around the table. So I'm going to ask the congregation if you guys would all be praying for season four, all right? Would you all, <laughs> would you all be praying for the Crawley family that things can sort of improve? And uh, uh, Jill and I will feel much better, I'll tell you that. 
Uh, so anyway, all right. Now that's enough about the Crawley family. However, I want to bring it back to this point that Jesus chose a meal as the central representation of what Christianity is all about, of what he died for. And why? why? Because Christianity is all about people coming out of broken, messed up relationships with God and each other and back into healed relationships with God and healed relationships with each other through the power of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that he offers us from the cross. It is a love and a grace and a forgiveness that is stronger than all of the issues and the hatreds and the resentments and the grudges and the barriers that can separate people from people and people from God. Jesus came to give us a way out of that so that he could form us into a family like no other family on the earth. A family that really, really, really is bonded together by the love of God, the same love that binds the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together for all of eternity. When Jesus died on that cross, the the eternal Son of God, that was opening up a conduit from the very heart of God so that the same love that has animated and and brought together the Father, Son, and the Spirit for all of eternity now is flowing through Christ into our lives and into our hearts. And that's why the church of Jesus Christ is like no other bonded family or community on the planet because we're knit together by a kind of love that heals broken relationships. So Jesus has called every church family in every city, village, town, nation, down through the century to repeatedly keep coming back to have communion together. Why? Because communion is the time when we come together and we examine the condition of our relationships, our relationship with God and our relationships with everybody else. Communion is the time when any issue in our hearts, any sin in our hearts can come to the surface, come to be brought to our attention so that we can, with God's help, take steps to correct the situation and to deal with that. And really, it's not just communion. See, communion, we, serve, we observe that here once a month, the last Sunday of every month. But really what that communion service is simply setting the pace for, what, for, the, for every time we come together. God wants us, he's turning a spotlight on your heart. He's turning a spotlight on your heart and my heart right now as you sit in his presence. What's going on in your heart? What are the unresolved issues that are, that are still need to be dealt with there? And why is that? Because God's picky? Because he's nosy? <laughs> no. It's because God loves us and he wants freedom. He wants joy. He wants to set us free from all those things that destroy us. Well, This is what we see, in fact, in the very first communion service that's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. So you can take your Bible or your your Bible app, whichever you have with you today, and you can open that up. You can take a look at the screen. We have these passages that we're going to take a look at. We're going to just unfold. We're going to walk through this first communion service. Jesus sat down with his disciples. So what we read in Luke, chapter 22, beginning with verse number 14 is this. 
Then at the proper time, Jesus and the 12 apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have looked forward to this hour with deep longing, anxious to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat it again. I will not sit down to eat with you again until it comes to fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, what's the Lord saying right there? Well, first of all, he's talking about sitting down to the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal is the history behind communion. Way back when the people of Israel were set free from the slavery of Egypt, in order for that to happen, Pharaoh had hardened his heart. He wouldn't let the people go. He was going to keep them as slaves. So God had to establish, he had to carry out a very severe judgment over the land of Egypt. And that was the death of the firstborn child on a certain night uh, throughout all the land. Uh, but God, with that judgment, also made a way of escape from that judgment. And that was any family who would take a spotless lamb and slay that lamb, take the blood from that lamb, and paint it on their doorposts. And then take that lamb and make it the main course of a sacrificial meal in the home that night. Uh, God would pass over. His judgment would pass over. And that's, that child, that, that home would not be touched by death. Now, you can see why Jesus says here, I have been longing for this, to eat this meal with you tonight. Because what had happened 14 years before in that Passover, and every time they celebrated it down through the years, it was pointing to exactly what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. Remember when he was baptized, what John said when he saw Jesus? He said, behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And now it's come down to the night before Jesus' death when he is going to be sacrificed as the sacrificial lamb. And so Jesus says to them, I've, I've been excited about sitting down to have this meal with you guys. Now, in one way, it might seem pretty strange that Jesus, knowing this horrible death that he's going to face the next day, how could he be excited about anything with the weight and the grief of that? pressing down upon him. Well, I think it's for one reason. It's because of what that meal represented. It, 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 that meal represented everything that Jesus came into the world to die for. That's why he could say, I am excited to sit down with you and share this meal. And I think that also tells us how important communion is to the Lord. Because every time we come together with communion, just like they did that night, Christ, comes into, Christ has come into this service today. He's here today. With, and he would be saying to you and I today, I've come here with deep longing to share this meal with you. It's a sacred moment. So there's nothing the Lord's more excited about, eager for, than the relationship that we have with him and the relationships we have in him with each other. That's what he died Four. Now, verse number 16 says, uh, we read, that uh, he said, I'm going to eat this meal with you tonight, and then I'm not going to sit down and have another meal with you until I come and bring the kingdom of God. And that still hasn't happened yet. We're waiting for that day to come. Uh, but what that's, that's telling us two things. Number one is that when Christ put the meal at the center of what Christianity represents, that's true not only in this age, 
where we've become the family and brothers and sisters, but it's going to be true throughout all of eternity. But the vulnerable time and the danger zone for relationships is the time between the two meals. It's the time between that meal and that day when we sit down with the Lord for all of eternity. It's the time between the cross and the second coming of Christ. And we're going to see just how vulnerable of a danger zone we are living into relationships. We're going to see that right here as this first communion service unfolds. Uh, Let me summarize verses 19 and 20. They should be on the screen. But in verses 19 and 20, Jesus begins the meal this way. It says, he took the bread and he broke it in pieces and he gave it to his followers. And then he said, this represents my body given to die for you. They ate the bread. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup of wine represents my blood that I'm going to pour out for you as I sacrifice myself in crucifixion for you. Now, there's, you know, there is nothing in the earth more important for us to understand than what Jesus has just said communion represents. And here, let me spell it out this way. What he's saying is this, that on the cross, when Jesus hung on the cross, all of your sins and all of my sins were downloaded upon Jesus Christ. He came to rescue you and me from a dilemma. And our dilemma is this, that in our sins, we are separated from God. And we're separated from God for all of eternity in our sins. Jesus came to become the foundation by which God could offer forgiveness to you and I. You know, God just can't arbitrarily say, God just can't forgive. He can't just do that without some foundation upon which to do it. Because if God were to just look at, a, at you and I in our sins and say, you know what, I'm just going to forget it all. Uh, that's all right. What would God be doing? He'd be compromising his own holy character. God can't do that and still be a holy and sinless God. And the only kind of God I'm sure we would want to live in a universe by, that's run by him, we want a holy God. We want a God that doesn't, doesn't allow evil to just go on and, or that he ignores it. We don't want that kind of a God. So God sent Christ into the world, the eternal Son of God. Christ voluntarily came, and he went to that cross, and when he did, he took the blame for every sin that you or I or anyone on this planet has ever committed so that there would be a way of forgiveness opened up and so his own very love could come pouring into our hearts Heal our relationship with God and heal our relationships with each other. And that's why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we have communion, we are remembering that Jesus Christ did, died for all that I've just described for our relationships. Now, I want you to put yourself back with Christ in in that first communion service with his followers. And Jesus is there talking about his sufferings. And that night, his disciples saw more emotion in Jesus than they had any of the three previous years that they had been with him because Jesus was pouring out his love for them. He was spilling out of his heart. And it had to be a really holy and quiet, sobering 
time for them. It was the most spiritual moment they had ever had with Christ. But then Jesus shocked them. He turned a corner, and he revealed something to them right in the midst of that communion service. He revealed something about them. Uh, Verses 21 to 23. This is what Jesus, this is what he says. This is what happens. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For I, the Son of Man, must die since it is part of God's plan. But how terrible it will be for my betrayer. Then the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. So, uh, Jesus says, one of you is going to commit against me the very, first, uh, the very worst kind of relationship sin that can ever be committed against anybody, and that is t- to be betrayed. And I'm sure I'm talking to some people in this congregation this morning that have experienced uh, the devastation of having trusted someone and maybe trusted someone really deeply. But that person betrayed you and turned against you. And that's, what, that's exactly what, what happened and what is exposed uh, that night. And right in the, in the middle of the first communion service, all of them begin to search their hearts. Is it me? Is it me? Who would ever do such a thing? Well, you know, that's what communion is for. When we come to communion, the Lord is going to reveal what's in our hearts. And he revealed what was in Judas's heart in that gathering. And of course, Judas is the betrayer of Jesus. He also betrayed the others, his other brothers in that circle. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Because Judas wanted Jesus to be something different than he was. <clears throat> he didn't want a Savior who would die on a cross. What he wanted was he wanted a Jesus of power, a king of power, who would, get, <clears throat> who would raise up an army and conquer Rome and... That would be his agenda. That was the agenda that Judas was pushing for. He wanted a different kind of Christ. But all of that was revealed. His heart was revealed that night during communion. What was Judas' response? One of the other Gospels says that as soon as that revelation of his heart took place, it says he ran out into the dark. Judas ran out into the night, and he carried out his plot. Now, could Judas have repented? Yeah, I believe... Judas could have repented like any other human being could have repented. It doesn't appear from what we read in the scripture that Judas ever did repent of his sin to his great loss. But you know, there are still a lot of people who are running away from Jesus, running out into the dark. When the offer of forgiveness and the offer of a relationship with him and the healing of their life is right there for their taking. It's a sad thing, but it can turn into joy. So the cross is the place where Jesus can heal the wounds of those who have been betrayed, but where he also offers forgiveness and hope to the person who is the betrayer. And that's how reconciliation between the betrayed and the betrayer. The cross is about bringing hearts together and getting past the sin that separates. Now, Judas was one of the 12, and he abdicated his position that night, and it seems like that shook, well, it did. It shook up up all the disciples, the other 11. And then it began to reveal some of the heart attitudes that were in their lives as well. 
verse number 24, and this is really hard to believe. And I remember the first time I ever, this ever caught my attention. I thought, well, this is almost impossible to believe. But here it says in verse 24, in that first communion service with Jesus, that the other 11 disciples, they began to argue. The word is dispute. They began to have a heated argument among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. So what's, what's coming out of them right there? Well, I guess you get three words, power, pride, and position. Now, just before the meal that night, John chapter 13, the Gospel of John chapter 13 tells us just before the meal, Jesus had astounded them by uh, getting up, and he went over and got a towel, a wash basin, wash basin and uh, he came over and began to wash each of their feet. He went around the room, which was, which was something only a servant would do. Here was the Lord getting down, washing their feet, serving them. He then said, now I want you guys to do the same thing. Live your life as servants of others. Don't be in competition with each other was his point. But what happens a few minutes later after the meal? They forgot all of that. They forgot the whole lesson of the foot washing. And now they're involved in this embroiled argument about who's going to be the greatest? What's my position in the new kingdom? And arguing with each other. Now, isn't it something how quickly we can forget the Lord's word, his holiness, his love. We can forget all the things that, is, that are near and dear to our faith. And we can slip from being spiritual and Christ-like so quickly into allowing the old fallen nature that's still in us all to take over and control our words, control our actions, control our feelings. Isn't this something how, how we can slip from the sublime spirituality from time to time so quickly into worldly, carnal, crazy stuff? And, and I place myself with this, you know, uh, I can preach a sermon here on Sunday mornings and I can talk about all these holy things, and then I can get out in my car driving up the road, and if someone's driving too slow in front of me, I can get irritated about that. So it's, it, we can slip. We can slip. We have to guard our hearts. Now, uh, w- but what, what did Jesus do that night? What, what, did he, what did he instruct them? How did he handle this argument that they were getting to right there? What did he say? Well, he calls them back again, to the same lesson he had just demonstrated for them in the foot washing. But he states it in different words this time. Look at verses 25 and 27. This is what he says to them. He says, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men order their people around. And yet they are called friends of the people. In other words, in this world, it's a hierarchy. And you have your leaders, they're on the top of the hierarchy, and everybody else is down lower, and they're controlling and ordering them, and they might even do good things for them, but it's still coming down from a hierarchy. But among you, Jesus says, those who are the greatest should take the lowest place, the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Another illustration, he says, normally the master sits at the table and is served by his servants. Now they would have thought about the foot washing, but instead he got down, the master, and served them while they sat at the table. And then he says, but not here. That's not the way it works in my kingdom, for I am your servant, and he's called all of us to serve one another. So, so he was really bringing the disciples back to this, back to relationship, the kind of relationships 
that we have in him. And that is we are loving servants of each other. That's how we live our lives. That's what bonds us together. And uh, communion is a time then to examine our hearts as to how much of that loving servanthood and that humility of Christ is guiding our lives and, uh, and asking ourselves, have I allowed any pride or any resentment or any brokenness or any anger to come inside of me and injure a relationship? Have I allowed that to stand? Have I, have I dealt with that? Is there anyone I need to humble myself with and seek to reconcile? Those are the kinds of things that the Lord wants us to look at in our lives when we come to a service like this. In communion, the Lord is telling us that relationships are worth working on and investing in because that's why he died. He died. He paid the highest possible price so that in him, you and I would have the ability and the power to take steps toward forgiveness and the desire in every way to live in peace and the healing of relationships so that this word together, which has been the word we've used for this series, there's really substance to that word. And we as a church can show to the world the difference that Jesus Christ really does make in the lives of those that are committed to him. So our action steps this morning, just before we come to communion, there are three of them. The first one is this. If you're here this morning and you... uh, want to know Christ, or you're thinking about knowing Christ, or you're checking this whole thing out. Maybe you're a person who has respected Jesus Christ from a distance. You respect his teaching. You respect his uh, spiritual teaching, a, a great spiritual teacher. But you have never before realized that you can actually know him person to person, Jesus is a person with a capital P. And one of the qualities of being a person is you can get to know a person. Jesus is the person of all persons that you and I would ever want to know. He is our Savior. You can know him today. He he will reveal himself to you personally, experientially. If If you will accept what he did for you on that cross... He took your sins so that they could be washed away. And as soon as those sins are gone, that opens the door for him to to have a relationship with you. You can have that this morning. You can receive him where you're seated by opening up your heart and saying, Lord, that's what I want. And I give my life to you. Come into my life. It'll be the greatest moment of your life. That's the first action step for some that may be in this room this morning. The second one is this. As we come to communion... Let's allow the Lord to examine our hearts for any issue that we may need to take action about toward correcting or or getting counsel or getting help in attempting to correct that situation. And the third action step is this. As we come and take the bread and cup, let's commit ourselves to the Lord that whatever step we need to take, we will begin to take that step this coming week. Make that commitment to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you do love us. You love us so much that you went to the cross. And we're so grateful that we have a God who's all about relationships and about love 
and about healing broken relationships and bringing us together. We are thankful, Father, that that is the kind of God that you are. And we pray that as we come to communion in these next few moments, Lord, that your presence will fill this room. We will know, Lord, just like the disciples did that night, that we are in the presence of Christ who has risen from the dead. He is here with us today. And Lord, uh, we celebrate your presence. We celebrate your love and all that you've done for us. And we give you praise for these things we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.